right, Top Hill Recording Podcast, episode 14. It's Brad back with you tonight. What's up, Neil? Hey, Brad. How you doing tonight, buddy? I'm good. How was your day? <laughs> <laughs> Another. It's, it's rained, so we record on Monday nights, and I know it's rained at least the last three Mondays straight. Doesn't make it any easier. So tonight we have Phil Bright with us, owner of Louisville Recording Company. Thanks for joining us, Phil. Uh, thanks, Bert. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, you see, I talked to Roger. <laughs> yeah. and, and the first thing I noticed was he got the crappy mic and the crappy headphones. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Do you don't. Oh, that's okay. Might be a strategy thing. He feels sorry for us and has a bunch of junk laying around. Yeah. It's still 10 times better than that. He can just throw our Yeah, our so way. Phil, every time you get ready to sell some hand me downs, you know, we just give me a call. And, yeah, I might have some stuff I can give you. Hey, here we go. That's even better. I, I knew it. See, man, you think ahead. I like it. <laughs> Do the honors. All right, let's go to Knob Creek because it's been that type of long day. Yes. We had the 1792 foolproof. I think that was 125. So this is Knob Creek single barrel 120. And I told you that night that uh, this was, I like this one a little better. I'll see what you think. All right, here we go. So this is like bourbon bourbon tasting. This is important stuff right here for Brad. You got to go to the bottom of the J. Why? Well, I don't know. What's That's the what he significance likes. of that J? I like to know how much bourbon I've had. Is it, was that a shot? It's a measuring a, device. Yeah, it's a measuring device. I yeah. see. Phil gets me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Measuring see. device. Neil doesn't. Well, he gets me, and I get Neil, but we're way different thinkers. He's talking about how he likes to keep all... What, all his bourbon at the same level. Actually, I don't like to do that. I don't you like have to. I don't yeah. like that I do that. Yeah. But like if there's one that's way higher than the rest, that's the bottle I grab. I don't know yeah. why. Everybody has flaws. If we can't get over each other's flaws, then we can't be friends. So So you're saying that's messed up a little bit? No. Nah, don't bother me <laughs> none. No. You I mean you can maybe try some counseling. <laughs> Or or some meds that might help help with that. I don't know. But cheers, Neil. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, Phil. Yes, cheers, sir. Phil. Oh, my water bottle. Yeah. Thanks again, man. Thanks for coming up. Owner of Louisville Recording Company. How long you been at that now? I've been at that location about eight years, I think. But I've been recording for twenty. Well, album I made with Roger and Rex Owen and Frank Campbell. Uh, that was the first thing I ever recorded in probably, I don't know what year that was, 2000, 2002, maybe somewhere around in yeah. there. First thing I ever did, all, all I had was one, like one of those Roland VS 2480s and some 57s. That's all I had. <laughs> and uh, I just did the best I could with what I had. And, you know, you can actually record pretty good tracks with one of those Rolands. You just can't edit, you nice. can't mix. You can't master on them. That's yeah. the thing right there. So you recorded everything on that album with 57s? Yeah, I think Rex had some um, Audix drum mics, so we may use some of those. But everything else, can't remember. If I had any kind of condenser vocal mic, it was something very, very minimal. Probably something like an MXL Condenser mic, probably like, like this that. piece of crap that I'm talking into right now. <laughs> exactly like that, except it's probably a better version. Hey, that MXL is having a good night tonight, though, because I hear no radio frequencies. No, I can't say it out loud. It's like saying the boogeyman. Sometimes we pick up 105.1 through the, the MXL microphone. 
Well, I mean, so. that sometimes they play some good music. I was going to say, at least it's <laughs> so, a decent channel. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. I want to know what you think of Knob Creek going twenty, dude. That is smooth. It's it's, it's a good, really really it's a good, good bourbon. And you this know, might what? be a problem actually. So it is. You know, we've been talking. This is one of the bourbons that still has an age statement on it. Ooh. So it's aged at least nine years. Well, this is something that's interesting. I don't know. It says Knob Creek Single Barrel Reserve Small Batch. That's a lot of stuff. So you can't be single barrel and, and small batch, can you? Like a single barrel comes out of one barrel. Small batch is like a mix of 10, 20 barrels. Well, like Ian said, you put a bunch of stuff on there and then it just catches. And Knob Creek is an actual creek in Bullitt County. It's right here. So there you go, didn't, Phil. Didn't know that. Bourbon <laughs> knowledge of the day. There you go. All right, Phil. So we're going to start off. We're going to ha- ask you to go back. Well, well, we were talking about the song that you played at the top of the Yeah, podcast. so tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll get to the question. That's actually a writing project that I have with Carl Stuck. He and I have been writing a couple of years, two or three years. I tend to write kind of, kind of far out. I like a lot of chord changes. I like odd time signatures i just like heavy music i I like rush i still do anything progressive i I love it carl has this singer songwriter sensibility though so he have you ever met a woman that likes rush i'm married to one is that right yes my my wife is a huge rush fan. okay rush and king's x cool (laughs) yeah (laughs) but uh carl has to reel me in a little bit sometimes because some of the music that I tend to write, there's no average people that could identify with it. And he sings these. I mean, he writes the majority of the lyrics and vocal melodies and all that. So what do you just say? Hey, Phil, that one's a little too far out yep, there. Yep, he'll <laughs> He'll go, man, this needs to be straight right here. And I like his ideas. He likes my ideas, and it, it's a it's a really good fit. It works. It works well. Yeah, well, I like what we heard on that one. We'll we'll hear that one all the way out at some point through here. Maybe close the. Close the podcast. Yeah, Carl plays guitar too, so Carl does all the vocal, but my guitar is going to be on the the left. Eddie was always on the left, so I had to be on the left. <laughs> and then Carl's guitars are all on the right, so all the solos. When you hear the solos, it's me to the left, Carl to the right. Him doing all the vocals. I think I'm playing the bass. That's Rex Owen playing drums on that. Actually, that was in Soul Parade with uh, Roger. As soon as I heard that song. I thought about the conversation with Roger. I went, yeah, uh, yeah. It sounds like it sounds like somebody that has that type of mind. Oh yeah, you know, well, if you've heard that Soul Parade record, yeah, that is kind of in the vein of what we wrote and what I still like to write. Yeah, it's not straightforward. Doesn't it's not predictable. Yes, mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah. Which makes it exciting. So, do you have to work at that to make it not predictable, or does that just come to you? Uh, a little of both. Sometimes it just happens that way. Sometimes it, it just falls out of you, and it, it that just comes out. But other times, it, it is some calculation. You got to figure it out, and you got to experiment and try this and that. And what happens if you cut uh, one beat off of this measure? And you know, I do a lot of that in Pro Tools now. I'll just record and and then get in there and play with it and change things up and find something different. You know, and. So you and Carl are probably a good team then. If uh, yeah, yeah, it it works great. So you probably go the other way sometimes and tell him, "Hey, Carl, that's too straightforward." <laughs> yeah, man, it's too acousticy singer songwritery. We can't do that, <laughs> man. No, <laughs> I mean that's what he does on the solo stuff, 
and he knows what we're doing is something different and it's separate. Mm. It works out well. He likes heavy music too, but he don't want his own personal music to be like that necessarily. Mm-hmm. But it allows him to get kind of get that out and take all that anger and aggression and put it right into <laughs> songs we write, you know. <laughs> All right, so let's go back. We'll probably go all the way back to your childhood even. what What's the first memories you have or, or when in your life did you realize that music was going to be an important part of your life? Well, my dad was a choir director at church. Oh, okay. And then my my sister played piano, so I grew up with a piano in the house my, my whole life. I took piano lessons at seven, seven, eight, nine, ten. Important question here. Did you like it at that point? There's a certain level of thought therapy that I still have sitting at a piano and playing chords. I always have enjoyed that, but my dad had an acoustic guitar and he had a Mel Bay chord book. Mm-hmm. I was 10 and for whatever reason, one day I get that guitar out and I took that chord book and I found a chord that I thought I could do, which was a G. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you have to work for 10 or 15 minutes to get your fingers on that chord to get it where every string will will ring. The day I did that, there's just something, you know, that just spoke to me on a level that a piano never did. We've had a few people come on here and talk about starting with the piano and hating it at six and seven. I didn't hate it. I just... Uh, you must have had an amazing teacher. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, what, man. piano teacher? Yeah, you must have had a pretty good teacher. Or... You just really like piano. Well, there was a lady that that me and my sister both took piano lessons from. A lady, we called her Miss Gloria. She lived over there off of Woodlawn Avenue. At the time, we were living down there off Teller Boulevard on on, uh, Walter Avenue. And we used to go over there. And she did have a way of of presenting it where I could identify with it, and it made it fun. That's it. Mm -hmm. You know, I guess maybe that's hard to do to a seven-year-old, but... I liked it. I mean, I I didn't have any problem with it. Once you discover guitar, man, it's like. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so at ten, you you picked up the guitar and hit that G chord. Yep, we lived out there off of uh, out in PRP off Greenwood Road, and right up at at the end of Greenwood Road on Dixie was Dixie Music. Dixie right Music. Yeah, yeah. I used to go Chris, in there a lot. And uh, Chris Rogers, man. Chris oh, Rogers yeah. was my guy. Yep, Chris. And I actually had the, the first band I ever had playing out was with Chris Rogers. No kidding. Yep. Mm-hmm. Really? Weekend Nights. Weekend Nights. Yep. Paul Nevitt playing keys and a guy named Hal Mahan that actually, one of the best bass players I've ever been around in my life. Uh, he lives out in, in Atlanta now. He's an airplane mechanic. Paul Zender was our drummer and a guy named Jeff Johnson was our singer. Actually, Jeff was in a band with Frank Campbell called King's Ransom. Uh, before us, we pretty Rogers. much played at, at Kelly's and TK's. That's it. <laughs> okay. That's all we did. Didn't matter. You're still playing out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I learned a lot. You so know? how old were you then? <laughs> oh, early 20s, 21, you know, 20s, 21, 22, around in there. When you were growing up and playing, once you started getting kind of proficient with your dad being the choir director, were you thrown on stage and, and made part of the... Uh, music at, at church? No, actually, our church is just like piano only. Really? It's like no other instrumentation. Okay. Yeah, the only instrument they have there is a big grand piano, and, and that's just traditional. And just did hymns, it's traditional just tra- hymns. Yeah, yep. So no, uh, we, I didn't get the chance to, to play guitar at, at church. So you weren't on stage other than maybe singing in the choir. Did you ever do that? 
Oh, I used to I used to sit in the choir area. Yeah. But I sang a little, but <laughs> I, I'm okay not not singing. <laughs> Don't bother me none. To, to, I'm happy to put, play my guitar and not sing. So I assume your dad played piano too, right? No, he didn't. He was the choir director and didn't play the piano. That's right. I don't know if I've ever huh. known a choir yeah. director that didn't play the piano. Yep. Did he play guitar or anything? He did play guitar. You know, when I was a kid, he was playing Running Bear, some you know, some old seventies uh and Elvis songs and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And you know, we wore out some Elvis records at our house when I was a kid. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Everybody loved uh-huh. Elvis. <laughs> we had one Sam Cooke record. Mm. Love that. Mm. And we had um Johnny Mathis and all kinds of cool. But uh, tons of gospel though. Back before the Oak Ridge boys went country, when they were still Southern Gospel, man, we had their records, several of them and cathedrals and you know kingsman and all those groups oh man we listen to that stuff all the time after you picked up the guitar at 10 did you take lessons or what no i've never had a guitar lesson so you're self-taught yes but i luckily there was a really good guitar player and i I can't think of his name that worked at dixie music before chris did and i used to go in there and watch that guy play and i remember the guy pretty much played rush and van halen that's it (laughs) and he was real good at both Uh of them and I could sit and watch that guy play, and then I could go home and figure it out myself. Oh, wow. wow. I did a lot so of that. came fairly natural to you then. Well, I just happened to have a, a pretty good ear, and I could I could figure it all out. I could take the record and play it over and over and move the needle. And, you a know, good the, ear and a great work <laughs> ethic will get those songs yeah. hammered out. Well, think about it. You know, we had one TV in the house. And would have had three or four channels. And if you didn't want to watch what Dad was watching, you didn't watch TV. So all I had was we didn't have video games. We didn't have phones. I had my guitar, and I had my records. So you're moving that needle around, finding the places you want to hear. Oh, yeah. The day I, I bought a CD player, and I, I can't think of how old I was, that had a function. It was a Technique CD player. It had a function called A-B repeat. So in other words, you could push the button, and it would start right at that point and you let it play and then you hit the button again and it would take that bit of music and it would repeat it it would just loop it a loop yeah yes first looper and man (laughs) i learned all kinds of stuff you wear that sucker out didn't you well that's when i finally got to the point where i could figure out van halen because early on ted nugent oh man those first you know i had like three ted nugent records and you know, at 14 or 15, I could grasp that level of guitar playing pretty good. Rick Emmett from Triumph, I always loved his playing. So do you know Stranglehold? Oh, I used to do Stranglehold. I used to do the whole thing. Hmm. That's cool. Really, memor- the licks aren't that difficult. It's just memorizing all of it. I'll never forget going to Airway on Dixie Highway <laughs> and buying that Ted Nugent record. And Stranglehold's one of those, I mean, you better play just like the record because everybody knows it. Oh, note yeah. Note for note. If you can sing the solo, <laughs> then to me, the solo is just as important as the vocal melody. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I always approach playing in cover bands. I always tried to play everything as close as I could. And One of my wife's favorite songs is Stranglehold. She loves Stranglehold. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yep. Man. So did you play any in high school? Crowds uh, bands actually, or anything? Yeah, I actually did. Um there was a guy named Bill Goins. We used to rehearse in his garage, and uh, I think I was 14 or 15, and 
a guy named Mickey Bradley was a drummer, and uh, a guy named Dennis Bryan played in the band. And actually, Mike Barnett is is a guy that I went to uh, high school with. I met him, you know, at PRP, and he had he was one of them guys that had an unusually high voice. You know how how difficult it is to find somebody that can sing Billy Squire or whatever was the thing at, at the time. And uh, he used to come and sing with us some, but you know we probably had about eight or ten songs is about all we did, you know, and we just didn't didn't do it enough to be playing somebody's basement or driveway. It was, in, or... It was actually in Bill Goins' garage over there at NPRP off of uh, Lower Hunter's Trace over there. And... So you about the same age as Roger? Uh, oh no, Roger's old. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no man, I'm not near as old as he is. No, I don't even know how old he is. To be honest with you, I'm yeah. 52 now. So we're same age. I yeah. think he's and he a year or two older. Yeah, I think so. So you you graduated from PRP? No, I actually went to PRP seventh uh, through tenth, and then I got busted Butler. Okay. I went to Butler my eleventh and twelfth. So then you start playing with weekend nights. How long did you yeah, do I mean, that? Chris Rogers and I put that band together, uh, you know, when I was in my early 20s, and Chris owned the PA. And, you know, actually, Paul Zender is somebody that I met at, uh, that was a drummer in that band. I met him at Butler High School, and that was the only guy I'd ever seen that could play Rush. At oh. We were 17, and he could play Rush. You play Neil Peart. That's pretty amazing. It's Peart. Peart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Neil <Yeah>. Peart. <laughs> we just did the... Uh, Back and forth from TK's to Kelly's until I was sick of that and I couldn't do it anymore. And then what? I quit. <laughs> <laughs> so you say, all right, this, uh, this music stuff is not for no, me. No, no, I, I just said. Or at least I, these two uh, shows are not for me. I just was more ambitious-minded. I wanted yeah. to do more than just that, you yeah. know. Because at the time, you know, the highest paid room in town, the pinnacle of Playing in cover bands is a saloon at Phoenix Hill. Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to do. Wasn't going to do it with that band. And and then I tried, you know, various other bands and played with a lot of different other people. And I did have a band called Super Knots with uh, Rex and Frank. Like, 96, 97, Steve Clark was our front guy, you know, from Tark Bus. Mm-hmm. Hit the saloon at Phoenix Hill, and uh, Steve quit. Right after that. So then we got a guy named Mark Gilly. That was our our front guy for, for the rest of the time we had that band together. That band got kind of frustrated when you're playing in a saloon and you can't find a place to sit. The place is so packed. Oh, yeah. I remember those days, Phoenix Hill. You do that for a few times and you ask for a 100 bucks raise. And then you get told by the agency... Um, Man, you guys, you're just not that entertaining, or you're not this, or you're not that, or you know, you ask for a hundred bucks more, and that's what you get. Yeah, and you're like, oh my gosh. So Phoenix Hill, they used to have what three bands in there every night. Yep. They had like the upstairs and downstairs, then they had a little room off to the side. Yeah. So would you guys play the main stage or the roof main. garden? Well, we yep. did upstairs some, and then and then we played in the saloon down in the main stage. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. It was insane. That place was always shoulder to shoulder. I never went there that it wasn't like that. Man, I had a, a little bit of stage fright, and I remember looking around, and it's just jam-packed, and before we go on, I'm thinking, man, why do I even do this to myself? I'm so <laughs> nervous. Uh, you know, I'm so nervous, but... Start that first song, you're good to well, go. Well, you just get. I just put my guitar on a tune and turn my Marshall on, 
and once you start thinking about your guitar and the music and gosh play the first chord and that power that marshall comes out and hits you in the face man that's, you're ready <laughs> you yeah, as soon be. as you start you forget all about all that you know but by then we had uh we had done well one year i think it's 97 we played 80 nights all of us worked full time and we played 80 nights that year oh wow we played every crap gig that the talent agency threw at us so by the time we were in the saloon i could think about things at work or at home or i could think about other things and i would just play the right thing you know like sometimes you would go are we in the first chorus or the second <laughs> chorus where are we in the song and you just kind of go oh we'll just see what happens and yeah. you'll play the right thing if you've done it enough if you have enough hours into it muscle memory takes over and you don't even have to think and it it happens correctly so not that you don't make mistakes but most of the time things fall where they should was that the super nights yes that it was. was doing that k-n-o-t-s or n-o-t-s it's N-A-U-T-S. It's like... Oh, uh, one word, super nuts. Well, do you know it? anything about Black Sabbath? No, no. It's much. a Black Sabbath song. Okay. We suck with band names anyway. You know? <laughs> band names do suck, man. I know. That's the worst. <laughs> My band, band name is Johnstone. How original is that? <laughs> That's his last name. <sighs> Jesus. That must be a hard stone, huh? <laughs> it is. Can't pass John it. Stone. So how did you, Frank, and Rex... End up with Roger, because that that was so parade, right? Yes, actually, I think Roger and Frank had the release. Okay, and I was running sound. I was just running Roger's PA. Okay, and Frank was playing guitar in a release with Bill Miller, and uh, I guess it was Danny Massey playing drums. Okay, and you, you were like the sound I, guy. I was running sound. I can't remember how that all worked out. That was I have no in, idea. That was back in the day was, uh, when bands got paid enough to hire sound guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to It's true. Hey, I do a lot of running sound. Still? Right now. Really? Yeah. So you just keep a trailer full of your sound stuff and ready to well, go? Or how do you I do just it? have a mixer. And then Frank Campbell has a big trailer with four of those big Yorkville bottoms with 18s and four top boxes. And, and then sometimes, like, if Frank works at Ford, so... There's certain nights he can't do gigs. So then I also work with Bill Miles. Bill's got speakers. So we use my mixer, their speakers. Like some gigs I do, corporate gigs especially, sometimes they'll have a sound company bring speakers, and I just take my mixer and run it. Were you writing music with Super Nights? You know what? We did dabble with that some, and we would set up a cassette deck recording two 57s in the room play some and I, I still have some songs that that we've written that, that we never have done anything with it wasn't that serious it was fun but so so parade was that was that your first real stab at, at really writing a yeah. several originals well it's the first whole album that i that i was involved in writing so. had you done any recording before that nope other mm. than that cassette deck with 257s that was all <laughs> i'd done i know i love that music when we wrote it but man I can't listen to 
my own recordings from back then. I, I'll cringe at it so much. I, I beat myself up over not making that record a better record than I did. They sound that, that just, bad to you now? That was as good as I could do at the time, yeah, yeah. Well, especially, like you said, with a, ta- or a Roland uh, recorder, you couldn't do any real editing. No, that takes no. That takes so much of the process out of your hands. Well, I'll tell you, that record is pretty much how we play. How we were playing at the mm-hmm. time, really, and it, I see because yeah. I, I was like, man, that sounds pretty good, man, especially for twenty years ago. There's and- no click track, there's <laughs> no editing. That's how we played. So you just recorded it, and there it was. It was yeah. yeah, I mean, I doubled guitars, and we multi-tracked vocals, and I mean, Roger pretty much did all the vocals. No, the rest of us sang on the record. Roger did everything. Yeah, he backed himself up. And- Why would you? want to stick my voice and Frank and Rex's voice on a record when Roger's singing. Just let him do it. I mean, you know, yeah. gosh. <laughs> you got somebody that sings like Roger, you just get out of the way and let him <laughs> let him do it, you know? Yeah. I don't want to sing, you know, especially now live when you have to. Well, yeah. That's one thing, but on a record when he Something can do forever. Some... Yeah, it's going to be on there forever and let, let Roger do it. Yeah, yeah. Man, that guy can sing harmonies. He can pick them out and figure them out faster than any of us could. So we just let him do it. When you recorded that, when you decided to take on that project, because I assume that when you did it, it was pretty much you saying, hey, I'm going to record us. We were looking at where all you could go to record, and we weren't that impressed with the choices. And and once you decided that you wanted to do it, did, did the process just stick with you? Was there something about it that just worked with your brain to go, I, I know how to make this sound better. I know how to do this. I want to figure out how to do the next thing and the next thing. How, how in the world? Well, I'm just always looking for the uh, something that I can do well. And I felt, even though I'm really disappointed now in how that sounds, there was, at the time, I thought it sounded great, or, or at least some of the songs. See, back then, I couldn't make a record, especially if you're recording them over a long period of time, I couldn't make a record that all the songs sounded exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Well, Rex wanted to come in about every every other song with a different snare. And, oh, let's try this. Let's try that. And, then, you know, like I worked my head off to get one snare sounding really good. And then he'd go, well, let's, let's try this. And, you know, he's got more drums and he knows what to do with. So he's always, <laughs> he's always changing around. And at my level of experience at the time, I didn't know how to deal with that. I couldn't deal with varying tones. Like, once I got one tone set, it would have been better for me to leave it, just leave it like that and record the whole record that way. Mm-hmm. But he's like, well, what about these hi-hats? What about that? You know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, crap. <laughs> so where, where did you go after Soap Parade? I actually pretty much quit doing cover bands around that time and uh, started getting more serious about my studio and there came a point where I just spent twenty grand on a Pro Tools HD system. Uh, yeah. So you I just said I'm going for it. Yep. Bit the bullet. So this look, yep. I, I love it. I'm going to do this. So Louisville Recording Company's your full time gig now. You're not. Yep. Well, other than running live sound, and I find them bands that pay pay sound guys. There you go. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> well, Man, it, ain't, most... it ain't my band. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, we, I would love to be able to afford a sound band. The majority of the work that I do running live sound is with Ryan Murphy. With Wax band, Factory, right? and then he's also got his version of Full Contact Karaoke. And, man, he's got the knack for for booking them weddings and 
corporate events and all that kind of thing. Full contact karaoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't know about that? Live band. Live band karaoke. karaoke. singers get up and sing, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. cool. Carl Stuck actually has, actually, they, they were at uh, Baxter's 942 for many, for several years on, I guess it was Wednesday night or Thursday night, and just did that there every single week. Oh, I'm sure Same people thing. love that. Oh, yeah. As a sound guy, it's a little bit... Grating. I mean, no, it, it, <laughs> no, it's actually kind of stressful because people don't know mic technique, and you have people that do the thing of cupping their hand around it so the microphone sounds like, you know, and actually that makes a monitor feedback too. And then you have them that tear up the mic clip or the or they drop the mic, that's happened. And so sometimes you're going, you're losing your mind, going, no, don't do that. Don't drop the mic. Yeah, sometimes you'll, you're losing your mind, you know, but. So what that that had to be I mean that's a big decision to dump twenty thousand dollars into into recording and say it's what I'm gonna mm-hmm. do. Is it faith is it faith in in the product or thinking I, I can do this and this is what I wanna do or this is what I'm gonna do because I know I can't. Or, uh, or, the, or a both, leap of really. faith. Yeah, I mean it it's all the above. It's realizing what you what you kinda have a knack for doing well and I, I don't mind at all. I was telling him earlier, um it's constant studying. And research and and calculating a purchase and figuring out, you know, just what I've been through trying to figure out how to get an acoustic guitar recorded in a way that I'm impressed with how it sounds. And it's trying different mics, different mic pre's and figuring out what works, what don't. Unfortunately, it's kind of a, it's an expensive uh, gamble <laughs> there, you know, because you can spend quite a lot on microphones and, and you can you can buy it for one purpose and realize that it doesn't work for that purpose. You have to use it for something else. When you decided to take that leap, were you recording and had clients at all at that yeah. point? Okay. Yeah. So you knew you had you knew you had some income, at least at least a little bit of income coming in. Yeah. I have all kinds of clients. You know, I have people that come in and and sing on over karaoke tracks and then I have singer songwriters that come in and do you know, full production. They might just have uh, a vocal and acoustic, but they want. So they people want... come in to re- to record over karaoke tracks. Yeah, I did a Christmas record for for a girl, and that's entirely how she did it. It fits the budget for some people. Some people can't afford. It. You know, I, I have people that come in and record one song, and they'll spend five to eight hundred or nine hundred bucks, depending on the level of production. But some people can't do that, and you know they can't afford that much. They can't put that much money into a record, so they do what they can. And sometimes maybe all they can afford is acoustic versions of their songs, or it depends on what they're doing with it. When you were playing live music and doing all that, was that your job? No, no. You had a full time job on top. I I spent twenty over twenty two years working in plastic injection molding. Uh, okay. I, I worked for a company. I, I was a process engineer. Actually, when that ended is when I decided to go full-time with my studio, when my position was eliminated. You know, when I got first got into plastic, uh, everything was, pla- you know, there's plastic factories all over the place. Now I'm seeing even like, well, the company that I worked for was owned by Brown Foreman when, for 12 years while I worked there. So a whole lot of... of uh, our customers were distilleries. Now they're going. They're all going back to glass. Yep. Yeah. 
And you're seeing they're not even using plastic uh, closures to maintain a position like what I had. I would have had to relocate to another state or something. So, so tell us a little bit about what what's your elevator speech for Louisville Recording Company? What's so. Well, not just a recording studio. I, I help people with their compositions. I help them with their song arrangement. Uh, I have one client, a new client, that I'm actually giving guitar lessons. And I do end up now at the level he's at. I'm, I'm playing on all of his recordings, but then I'm teaching him how to play what I played on his recordings. So he can play it live? So he can play it, yeah. yeah. So you really can go from uh, a beginner to really, really advanced, advanced yeah. mm-hmm. uh, situations, which is awesome. I try to help people in every regard of their – every step of their their process. I can help them. I'm not too much about the lyric writing, though. You know, yeah. I can give an opinion about that, but that, that's, that's about <laughs> it. But, yeah, but that's not really my thing. It's the music is, is my thing. And, you know, you can do chord substitution. You know, one thing that's pretty common is people writing songs. It's either two chords back and forth or three chords. It's the same three chords repeating the same order. Mm-hmm. And it's the same on the verse as it is on the chorus. <laughs> and I always have to ask the question, can we avoid just repeating those same three chords over and over and over? Because you hear how I write, man. Yeah. I want it to change. I get I get tired of Get that. bored quick. Yes, yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. stand that. <laughs> so I want to add, you know, if it's got three chords, I want to see Ooh. if we can make it 30 chords. I got, a, I got a good question. And this is something I think about every time that I've ever been in the studio recording. How in the world can you, you know, because I'm sure you get some crap, it's that, which don't say yes, but I'm sure there's times where you... All of my clients are highly regarded musicians. Perfect. Okay. That's the stance <laughs> that I'm going to take. But how, I, there, I could just imagine having somebody come in and playing the song going... This is the worst dog crap I've ever listened to in my life. Oh my god, I can't believe I'm, I've got to do this. I'm, I'm getting ready to edit this. I mean, does that happen ever? Does it? Is it just? Is I try that when to, it becomes a job. I try to head that off before we get to the to the recording process. Okay. I try to to kind of see what they're doing, and try to see if they're open to to me trying to help them with improving whether it's the chords or the or the lyrics or whatever. Do you I just always, give them my opinion, and, you know. You just tell them, hey, send me a, uh, a couple songs. Let me hear what you want to come in and lay down. Let me see Sometimes you don't hear it until they're in, okay. you know. But, yeah, it is good if they can make a little recording just with their phone or whatever, and I can just kind of see what they're going for. Yeah, yeah see what you're going to be dealing with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you ever had anybody that you had to tell, hey, I just don't think we can probably work together? Well, I try to weed out flakes by having a, a business landline phone, you know, you don't give everybody your cell phone number. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, I get a voicemail, and when I try to call them back, I get, we're sorry, the person you're trying to reach doesn't, uh, you know, has a voicemail box that is full or <laughs> has a voicemail box that has not been set up. Okay, I'm like, okay, if I can't communicate with them, yeah. can't work with them, I'm <laughs> done. Yeah. Some level of professionalism on yeah. both ends, please. And, yeah. you know, if they leave a voicemail and go, yo, what up, dog? You might, you know, you're like, eh, I don't know. 
<laughs> now, if they're referred by somebody else that I trust, that's something different. Yeah. But people that just find me on Google and just call, you try to get a, a vibe for, you, you try to feel them out over the phone. If you get a feeling that they're going to book sessions and either just no show, no call, or they're going to cancel or they're not going to pay you or something, if you just try to get a vibe about it, sometimes the vibe I get still doesn't quite work and, and I end up being ready to choke somebody. <laughs> but I can't imagine it's hard to deal with a bunch of artists. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right, so yeah. let me ask you. Uh, let me ask you a question about recording here. So you can see, you know, we just—I told you—we just finished this room. This is going to be the control room and the podcast room. Uh, just finished this on Saturday. Well, it's still not done, but put the acoustic treatment up. Mm -hmm. But if you, me as a person just getting started, you think back to when you first started. What are like some essential recording? ingredients or mixing tips or just anything that comes to mind that you're like, man, I wish I knew that when I first started. Or things to avoid. Sometimes yeah. you can overdo yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Like when I first spent the four grand on a Manly Vermouth compressor, I loved that thing. It sounded so good, and I wanted to overuse it. I wanted to just use it on everything, and I wanted to use way too much gain reduction just compress the crap out of everything because that thing sounded so good to my ear when I, when I first got it. And I've learned now, you know, like the sweet spot when you're recording guitars, I'll run the signal through the manly and you just barely let it touch it. You know, and you're like, talking about hardware here. You're, yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. got the actual piece. Yes. Yeah. But I have the plug-in too. Yeah. And I use both. Is it a rack mount? Yeah. But uh, and that's like a classic. That's a that's a highly sought after compressor, isn't it? Oh, it's a very, man. I, I had one of the lights go out in one of the the meters one time, and I contacted them, and they said, "Well, we'll send you a, a new board out. Are you comfortable doing it?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." So I took the top off of that thing, and it, it is just a piece of artwork on the inside. That they make. That's just the highest level of quality. It's almost like I've I've got these uh, Sonar Pro Light drums german probably the, top of the line. second down from the the very very top line i think the only only line they have above that has like a transparent finish and, and pretty wood but this is just a white drum set the hardware on that thing is so ridiculously over engineered it's crazy <laughs> but that drum set tunes like a guitar you know you you can uh strike the head right beside the lug and it'll just the bearing edges are so smooth it's just craftsmanship the mm -hmm. level of of workmanship that goes into those is that your studio kit yeah 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 how old are those uh, i've just had them a few years i actually bought them from danny massey danny they used to be the drummer in the release mm -hmm. he worked for a long time for victor duop and he was the ebay buyer and seller guy he's on ebay all day every day and man he would find he said believe it or not there are people that'll buy a drum set of that quality and a year later go man i don't think i want a white one i think i just want a blue <laughs> one or something and they'll sell it for a fraction of what they a third of what they paid for it so i end up buying it off him got a really really good deal it's a great sounding drum set man great instruments 
you know, you take a great musician playing a great instrument and somebody that knows the signal chain and, and how to record it, man, that, I tell you, it, as far as getting quality recordings, you know, you take take somebody like Tony McElwain that plays guitar mm-hmm. and Kirby. Yeah. That guy could take a $100 guitar piece of crap and play it through a pig nose or something. <laughs> <laughs> and he can make that sound amazing because he's got really good tone in his hands. You know, but you take a bad guitar player, I'm not going to name any names, <laughs> but you take a bad guitar player and play him, put him on a, a $3,500 Les Paul, you know, and $20,000 worth of gear, they're still a bad guitar player. <laughs> and you still can't record good sounding tracks with that. The performance, and the same thing with singers. You know, I just recorded uh, from Paris. You know, local band has Kim Cantwell that fronts the band. Man, Kimmet's voice. I recorded her some through a Neumann U eighty seven, and she did she did one song on a fifty eight. Here I found how he said that. Neumann. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was one of the first things I learned. That it's not a Newman. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. But yeah, Kimmy could sing through anything, and it mm-hmm. would sound amazing. So we had a discussion about that microphone. Is that microphone really that much better? The well, Neumann? 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 Yeah. So that's, what, that's like about a $2,500, $3,000 microphone? Well, they're about 36 38 36 is, okay. is about what they run. There is a perfect microphone for every singer. That microphone is really good on a lot of singers. I don't use it for every singer. You might find a certain kind of voice, like maybe a, uh, you know, like a heavy, a gruff, heavy, really loud singer. Mm -hmm. I might not use that mic on that singer. So it depends on, I mean, I keep that mic up most of the time. But if somebody goes to sing on it and it's not working for their voice, I change it. You know, there's not one, there's not a universal So what are you listening piece for? Piece of gear. Just pleasant sound, uh, tone? I mean, peaks, frequency peaks. Um, well, Carl Stuck actually sings so loud. Carl can distort the diaphragm in the U87. <laughs> yeah, and I've discovered that I can put it down and angle it up and get more like of a chesty kind of sound from him, and he sings over it, and that ends up being the best sound for him. Because he's, man, he sings at a volume that when he sings right into it, man, he's making the diaphragm just buckle. It's just like, oh, I can't <laughs> handle it, you know? That's and, crazy. But... Historically, like that microphone was designed. See, before that microphone was a U67, and they were finding that it wasn't so good on f- some female singers. So that's w- that's what caused them to to design a U87, and it works good. Like it'd be great on on somebody like Roger, you know, yeah. a tenor with a with a high strong voice. Mm-hmm. It'd be great for him. I mean, it, it works for nine out of ten singers. But then I have other choices. Uh, I actually have. A Mojave MA200 that I use quite a bit. It's a great sound of mic. It's a tube mic. Now, see, the uh, the U87 doesn't have like a, a separate box that 
that you plug into and run power to. You just run phantom power to it. Okay. And it's a different sound. It's just a different, it's cleaner. It's just a totally different sound. So is it worth thirty six to thirty eight hundred dollars? Um I think you could spend less. Like here's one example. Inexperienced singers, when they sing, they'll do this. They'll move around the move mic. Move around the mic while they're singing. Well, a U87 still sounds really good over here and, and over here and up, up here. The tone of the mic, you can get a better recording from that microphone with a less experienced singer. I ain't paying $3,600 for dumb, dumb singer. Singing in the mic, stupid. How about <laughs> well, I know, but, but still. I tell you, man, singers are fragile when they get on a the mic. Their they're, they're, uh, emotions are fragile. Yeah, they are. I mean, you know, singing in the mic, man. <laughs> I know, but, but I mean... For the money, yes. Yes. And it, it does, you know, people think it's a prestige type thing. People, it makes people feel uh, I'm expensive. I'm saying it's a $3,600 microphone. Yeah, yeah. It makes the experience better. There are people that come to me because because I have that mic. What's a good microphone in the 200 to $400 range? None. <laughs> <laughs> Love honesty. Yeah. No, for certain things, actually, there's a company called Lewitt. They make something that's, a, I can't think of the model number of it right now. If, if I, I could have looked, I, I keep it on my snare drum all the time. It's pretty much an upgrade from a 57, and it's a great mic. It works on, um, great on guitar cabinets, snare drum, stuff like that. And I have one. It stays parked on the top of my snare drum all the time. Did you have a road? I did it one time. Yep. And then you upgraded. Upgraded. Mm -hmm. That's one that I've read is a good, you know, value mic. Yeah, it is. I mean, starter. I mean, we're a starter uh, studio here. And this one is uh, one I'm on right now. AKG? AKG P420. Silence. (laughs) No, you can get get good results. Uh, It's just, it may be harder. I mean... I hate to say it's not about the gear because it is a little bit about the gear because, like, say, for instance, just a 57, if you take a 57 and just recorded it right into a computer, all sterile with nothing, you're probably not going to get the greatest results. But you take a 57 and you run it through, like, I've got these uh, Earthworks Zero Distortion Technology Mic Pre's. Man, you take a Mic Pre like that, it'll make a, a 57 perform so much better the whole signal chain has to be considered. You know, mm-hmm. I run my U87. I have a 1173 made. It's actually a, a 1073, like a, a Neve 1073 knockoff made by a company called UK Sound. And uh, I keep my U87 going through that. And then I run it through my analog console and then into my interface. And that whole signal chain is just what I've determined gives me the best vocal sound and you know through a lot of experimenting and trying and you know i've got i have i have avalon i don't even actually the avalon stays on a kick drum 100 percent of the time right now i don't use it for anything else but that and i keep it set i don't have to move the knobs i just know it's on kick drum and when i'm recording drums that's it's going through that that's <laughs> that's what i'm doing with it all right so let's uh let's get back to the question because i've so heard much info i've heard that's number so one info. 
My number one tip that he's given me so far is make sure your performance is solid. No, no, no. Back up from that. Okay. Make sure you got a good song. Let's yeah. start with that. Yeah, but you can't tell someone that comes into your recording studio, hey, that song sucks. Can you? Well, I ask them if they're open to me helping them with the chord changes or okay. improving them. And where, where's the hook of the song? And what if you said this word instead of that word? And I try to encourage that. And there are some people that are real happy with, with what they have and they, they don't want to change. But yeah. other people are like, well, what do you think? And, you know, I mean, I have I have ideas. Sometimes ideas I have today, I'll realize tomorrow were just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're creative at all, you're going to have ideas. And um, not all my ideas are good ideas, but I have ideas. And so well, and, you try but, things. But good song, good performance. Yeah, and if you can't find a good song and you're throwing out ideas, you're going to throw out anything you can to make it a decent song. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. I mean... All right, so you have a good song and a good performance. What's some other uh, things you wish you would have known early on? With When I first bought my Avalon, I found suggested settings for it, like for the, for the EQ and the amount of compression and the input gain and all that. And I put it on those settings, and I had it on those settings for I don't know how long, until... One day I realized every source changes. Every singer's different. Everything you record, you can't use just generic settings and go, okay, if I'm recording a snare drum, this is what I'm. This is how I'm going to EQ it. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to to change that on the spot based on what you're getting from it. One of the hardest things in recording is learning what's good right then. Learn it that the tones you're getting is going to be acceptable and work for the song. Learning to listen. Yeah. Learning how to hear and figure out that the tone you're getting is, if it's guitar, say say it's guitar. If you've got an amp mic and you're trying different pedals, different kinds of distortion, you got to learn when to say, this sound ain't working. Let's try something else. You hear people talk about learning to mix with your ears and not your eyes. Yep. Don't assume that some setting you saw Chris Lord Alge use or, or well, whoever, you know, some big mix engineer, don't assume that those same settings are going to work for what you're doing. Now, I have found when I bought a U87, some of the presets actually seem to work better in plugins because they're probably establishing those presets listening through one of those microphones. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get the uh, Chris Lord Out's vocal channel, the presets seem to sound better using that mic. But don't assume those settings are going to, you know, just because you find on a preset, you know, rock vocal one. Yeah. And because a singer's singing rock, you can't assume that those settings are going to work well. You have to be able to hear what you're getting and adapt to it. I haven't used many of the presets because when you open those up, at least in Studio One, I'm using Studio One Professional, and you look at the EQ, they have frequencies boosted sometimes 8, 10 dB. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, I've, I've read a lot. If, if, if you're having to do that kind of adjusting, you probably have a bad performance you recorded. Well, you have to start, like if it's a guitar amp, 
you just got to listen to the amp, make sure the tone's good to begin with. Yeah. You know, if if uh, it's got a ton of real harsh top end or the mid-range is scooped out too much or whatever, if the tone just doesn't work for the song, you got to change the tone. Don't just start trying to jack around with the EQ coming off the mic. You start with the source and maybe change guitars or maybe, you know, whatever. Try to get the best tone you can coming out of the amp. Then worry about putting a mic on it. Mm-hmm. Do that first. You can't just, like, I do have my amps mic'd in, in another room. They're isolated from my control room. Mm-hmm. But there's, I always want to go in and hear what's coming right out of the 412 cabinet. I want to listen to that first and make sure that's making sense. Then go in there and hear what the mic's getting through the, through the mic pre and through the compressor and all that and maybe make changes necessary to get the kind of tone that you're looking for. What else you got for a newbie? Man, I'll tell you, early on, I was using kind of more the philosophy that, that's incorporated in recording in, in analog equipment for digital, and I was recording way too hot. My Man, gain structuring for digital is just different than what I'd been around. And, man, I hear recordings that I did back then, and I'm going, gosh, the input gain was way too hot. It just don't sound good. Digital, you know, you want to shoot for somewhere between, at the very top end, minus 6 dB. But you can go down, you know, to minus 18 dB. If if you're within a range, within there, it'll usually sound pretty good. Man, you try to push it up close to zero, and, man... It's it'll it sounds bad. It really sounds bad going hmm. in digital doing that. So gain structuring is one of the hardest aspects of now now obviously I know how to do it, but back then I didn't and I was I was thinking in terms of what you do on an analog console. And so I was driving the gain and going straight into digital and So you try to hit between negative six, negative eighteen? Yep. Yeah, I would have never thought negative eighteen would even be something that as long as it's quiet. As long as the signal's quiet. So I just read that not too long ago because, you know, the digital signal stay, as, as long as it's clean, like you're saying, it just, mm-hmm. it'll stay pure as you as you pump it up, right? Yeah. Wow. But if your HVAC's running and you're getting, <laughs> you're getting you know, a certain amount of noise and then the difference between the noise and, and the signal is too close, uh-huh. when you gain it up, all you're doing is pulling the noise up with it. But uh-huh. as long as it's real quiet... Then, and you get a real clean signal at minus 18, so no problem. So, what's your plug-ins you like? What's the ones you find yourself going to a lot? Uh, well, on what? <laughs> <laughs> Holy cow, man. Uh, if you saw my plug-in list, you'd be like, oh, man, me find it. I'm getting to the point where I can't find things now, you know. Like, oh, man. As far as EQs, um... Man, I use all the UAD stuff. I love that stuff. Is that what you start with was EQ most of the time? Well, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'll put a DSer on first. Sometimes I'll DS, then I'll EQ, and then I'll compress, and then maybe maybe I'll put another DSer on. It just depends. You know, it depends on the person. You know, there are people that have sharp S's that, that cover 
different frequencies. You know, some people has a, a real sharp S that'll be at, at 6.5K, and that's the only one they have. But then there's others that'll have one there, and they'll have another one down at 3.8 or something, and you have to set up two different DSers and, and make, them, make them real sharp. See, I like to add a lot of air on a vocal, especially... You know, I'll, I'll take an EQ and just add a bunch of top end. Mm-hmm. Well, that gets a bunch of detail in the vocal, but it sometimes it makes S's. The S's too. Yeah, 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 the S's will rip your head off. <laughs> so you have to, in order to get all that detail, you have to control the S's. But then I also do the parallel compression thing. Almost all within the last year or so, I'm taking a vocal channel, and I'll have a compressor on it. But that channel, I only let it just barely touch it. Two, three, five, no more than five decibels of gain reduction. But then I'll duplicate that proc- that, that track in Pro Tools, and I'll take the exact same compressor, and I'll compress the crap out of it. I'll make it so it might have 18 or 20 decibels of gain reduction. But then pull it way back, you know, play the track, pull that heavily compressed Mm-hmm. track turn it down and and just blend it in until the vocal takes on detail and energy and you know it's like it's just it's the same thing as having a mix if you have a compressor that has a mix knob on it you can do it right on one channel why in the hell did you quit playing music to do this shit <laughs> <laughs> you just said a bunch of yeah, numbers and stuff. It's like, he, he, what? Has, he hasn't quit playing music. What? Are you, what? No, I, I know. Still play. Come on, man. Wait, do, you, do you have your guitar out in your uh, car? No. What? Oh, man. You we would not, not leave that in the, Well, I guess you could today, uh, couldn't you? We should have had Phil bring his guitar and just uh, play right in here for a little bit for us. Yeah, yeah. I could have, I guess. Oh, yeah. man. I'd, I'd have to work something up, man. I you know. Work something up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me see. Let me see. I mean... I've got a guitar in the basement. Well, yeah, but are the strings ten years old on them? Yeah, sure. Yes, they are. Let me tell you, I I played it recently. Yes, they are. Yeah, it's time to change it. And I'm pretty sure it's probably an Epiphone. No, it's an epiphany. Epiphany. It's a, oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. No, it's an applause. Or is it an ovation? It's an applesauce? Oh, oh my. The acoustic? Yeah, yeah it's an ovation. Ovation. Yeah. Man, those yeah. plastic slippery backs, I'm man. Telling I you, just dude. can't deal with that. What do you, <laughs> I'm, let me play this first song for you. Oh, my God. It slips away from you, man. Dude, it, does, it hates to be played. Yeah, I remember Roger used to have one of those. Did I don't he? know if he still does or not. Probably not. If, he, if he's a real... Oh. What, my guitar's not real? I mean, it's, if it's half plastic, man. <laughs> it's gimmicky, man. It was, it, was a, it was a thing that happened, and then it didn't happen anymore for a reason. Hey, you guys are giving me a complex, man. Yeah, you need to get a new guitar. I got, I'll got. i give you one. <laughs> I got plenty of... I'll give you an old acoustic. <laughs> no, I man, as far as plugins, um, I've got some plugins that just do harmonic distortion that I like a lot. Sound Toys makes one called the Decapitator. And I use it on snare drum almost every song. But it, it'll only apply harmonic distortion just to the low end of a, of a snare drum. It doesn't, it doesn't affect the mids and highs. It only adds harmonic distortion to the low end. So around 200 hertz, 250, right where the meat of a snare drum is, 
it'll just you can put it in very specific places and it sounds really good something that i just learned how to use it's like change my game see if this makes sense i just learned how to use the multi-band compressor oh yeah mm-hmm. and man it like changed things for me see i only use it on certain things though uh i'll use it on bass guitar every time just to control the low frequencies and make them real even but i don't want to compress the mids and highs like that you know so and i always take one bass track i do a similar thing that i do with the vocal i'll take one bass track and i'll pull all the the top end and and the mids out and compress that just the low end duplicate that track and then take all the low end away from the second track and then add distortion to the mids and highs and uh blend those two together and run those two into one aux and maybe put another some other kind of processing on the aux why do you do that just so you can have some compression on the low end itself it just keeps the low end real even but if you're going to add harmonic distortion you don't want it on the low end you want to keep the low end clean okay so you just add the gain to the mids mids and highs it's rocket science you know man. about it's music is a uh, musical rocket man science. doug pinnock in king's x has done that Live, he does that live. Uh, actually, Chris Squire and Yes always did that. Yeah, he'll have one amp that's just low end clean, and another amp that doesn't have a lot of low end. It's just mids and highs, and it'll have distortion on it. Huh? Anything else? Anything um, else? I, you know how much else there probably hey, is. There's hey, a listen, lot else. Neil, I'm, I'm trying to save myself twenty years of you know twenty years yeah. of twenty grand. No, I'm just <laughs> telling you, man. The education that you could get is is crazy. Just so here's what here's what I'm going to ask you to do for me, Phil. Is just let me come out to Louisville Recording Company sometime and just kind of watch. I'd just like to watch you work. I mean, <laughs> I have an hourly rate <laughs> for watching. As long as you don't mind paying my hourly rate, I mean, be okay. I don't care. He's not giving away his secrets. He gave you everything you're getting right here. He does not want to see you again. <laughs> All right, so that song we came in on, tell us a little bit about that song. Because uh, we're going to listen to it all the way through. Starting now? Yeah, that's one of, of I don't know, where I, we in five songs in, I guess, me and Carl. What about the uh, drive? Did oh, you, yeah. That we, was killer. We actually had a sync licensing opportunity that we were going to submit to, and we put that together just for that. And then um, it ended up turning out so good. Well, I think for the sync licensing opportunity, we didn't have like the real low tune heavy guitars in there. And I think that was Carl's idea. Uh-huh. And he's like, man, let's just put some heavy guitars in it. Let's just release it as a Splinter Mind song. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we got a lot of good response from that. Yeah, it's killer, man. It sounds amazing. And that's me and Carl doing everything. Really? Yeah. And that's, that's uh, pretty recently released, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, can't, I don't months. know when. Man, I can barely keep track of how old my kids are, let alone <laughs> let alone when a song came out or something, you know. Time all flows together. I it know. really does. It starts to flow together for yeah. sure. Well, was, that, when, was that two years ago or ten years ago? <laughs> you have uh, all these other projects that you're working on. and Yeah, I have people call me that hadn't been in for a month, and they go, man, you know my song, do, do you think... You know, ask me very specific questions about it. I'm like, dude, I, I'm going to have to listen to that again. I cannot remember. It's 
Since then, I've worked on I don't know how many other songs. I cannot remember. I said, when, <laughs> next time you come in, we'll listen to it. I'll give you my opinion then. But I cannot remember that, especially if somebody sends me something and asks me to listen to it. Oh, man, me getting around. I mean, if, if all you do is listen to music. Yeah. Finding time to listen to something that somebody asked you to listen to is yeah. hard. So yeah, hard. let me listen to a song while I'm working on these other tracks. I, yeah, you can't listen. To, you can't listen to something else while you're working most of the oh. time. Yeah, do you get ear fatigue? Oh yeah, sure. So sometimes you just have to walk away, right? Man, you can only mix. You, you literally get to the point where you can't tell. Your, your I, ears get yeah. to a point you cannot tell, and you have to learn how long that period of time is. And you just got to get away and go do something else. So mix, mixing's a race against time, really. You can't have that thought process. You got to get in and get it right. More, yeah, but right? you. Yeah, yep. yeah. I mean, you want it right, but you you can't sit there for hours. Well, because what I find, I, me and I'm I not, can sit there for hours. Can you? <laughs> yeah, I could sit. I can. I could sit for an hour and tweak a vocal. Just try to. I'm sure you could do it for eight hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, just listen to one track going, no, no. You should hear my last uh, editing process on that Nashville song I wrote. It's dog crap. Over-edited, over-edited, ear fatigue. It was ter- It's terrible. Which the more you do it, though, I mean, my level ex- of experience now, I know how to get so to start- the best result faster. Mm. Plus, I... I- I know the formula of of the signal chain. Yeah. You know, I know. Now I'm not as good. Like I have people that record somewhere else, or the, or they record themselves, and sometimes they just record real sterile. Mm-hmm. And I try to record going in so that the source sounds as close to it should on the record as possible. So I don't record just any dog crap sounding kick drum. And that's what I'm you're talking to. about uh, tracking that for, you know, the the guitar. You the source has to sound good, otherwise, don't even worry about the mic, right? Yeah, and, I, so and I'm not going to record. Start. I mean, if I know the kick drum sounds horrible, I'm not even going to hit the record button. Yeah, you just work with it until until you get something acceptable. Sometimes you just got to get a new kick drum. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you need a new drummer. <laughs> <laughs> so do you always? <laughs> so you start with levels, I guess. Well, you start with considering uh, the microphone and considering the signal chain and the gain structuring, and there's a lot to it, man. I, I just last Saturday recorded from Paris, and I recorded uh, 16 channels all at the same time, and the band playing live, and that's a lot to try to keep track of and make sure that each microphone is is getting something really good and. You know, I, I discover after they leave, the microphone on the toms, the tom hits were at one level, and then the snare hits were like 12 decibels louder. Huh. And that, you know, the mic's sitting this close to the tom, but yet the snare's louder in this tom <laughs> mic than the tom oh, is. Oh, yeah. man. So that adds... To to the length of the process. I mean, you, you, I have to go through every, like the whole. You just take drum those, track. those snare hits out of the toms. Well, I, so what do you gate that? Is no, it, okay. I can't find a gate that. Well, think about it. You, you, your gate, you, you set a threshold, and once the signal reaches that threshold, that's when the gate's going to open up. Well, if I set a gate on it, 
the snare's going to open it no up, time. and the tom won't. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, so yeah. I have to cut the track where the tom hits are and reduce everything in between them by 10 or 12 decibels in order to oh my to get. And then I actually have, uh, I have samples of my own drum set. Like, for instance, if a drummer hits a tom and then quickly goes to a cymbal, so the microphone right on the tom... You know, there's not a whole lot of tom sustained because it's smeared by a cymbal. I'll take a sample of my own drum kit and I'll put it on there so it is triggered right when the tom hits, but it has a real nice, long, pretty sustain, and it's not smeared by the by the cymbal hit. <laughs> so I do that kind of thing. And then I have a bunch of other samples, too. Sometimes I'll, I'll blend them in. But I try to record drums, everything, as close to the way it should sound on a record going in. Now, sometimes it takes a lot of processing, but I use the Universal Audio, that virtual console that I was telling you about. You know, mm -hmm. I have all my analog stuff, and I run every signal through all of that, and then sometimes inside the virtual console for the, for the UAD Apollo, I'll put a little more processing on it. You know, you may need to EQ it a little more or whatever and compress it a little more. So how much time do you spend as the engineer? What's the ratio of time working on, on tracks to recording with uh, musicians? Well, everybody tracks at different rates. That's why guys that do what I do charge by the hour. There are some people that try to lock you into a flat rate. And I tell them, I'm like, I know how long it'll take for me to do what I need to do. But I don't know how long it's going to take for you to, to get a performance acceptable for the for the record. And, you know, the, there are people that come in. Man, I tell you, a, a band called Day One, I did a record for last year, Christian band. It's actually... Uh, Roger's son? Actually, Travis did sing on one song okay. on the record, yeah. Uh, but it's Corey Greco. Do you know Brent Greco? I've heard the name. Brent's amazing yeah. musician. It's his son, Corey, and, you know, I, I, I think of, of them as kids, but I think now they're probably 30 years old or something. But it's Corey and his cousin, Steven Berger. And, man, them two guys come in and throw tracks down professional fast, man. One, one or two takes. Them guys are killing laying tracks down. Mm -hmm. But they know exactly what they're going to do when they come in, and there's no playing around. Now, Corey... When he's going to play bass, he might say, man, I'm not really sure what I want to do. Give me some uh, some thoughts. And when I hear what he's doing, I might, you know, sometimes what he's doing is great. And I don't have to, I don't, you know, we don't have to adjust it at all. But I might go, man, I'm hearing da-da-da. Pay attention to the kick drum. Look what the kick drum's doing. And I just try to give them a little bit of guidance. But, man, them, them two guys throw it down. They're as professional throwing tracks down in the studio as I've ever seen around here. Is that right? Yep. And then we get, um, I, I work with this kid named Leandre Melton out in Houston, Texas. He records himself. He's got a group called Vision Ministries, and they're like an acapella group. And uh, he records his group, and then he sends me the tracks, and me and him Skype, and I mix. Oh, wow. How would you hook up with him? I have a, a group called Straight Company that is another acapella group that their producer, Jesse Marah, he lives in town. Straight Company, when they record, people come in from all over the United States, everywhere, California, Illinois, Atlanta. 
they're in this association. I think it's in uh, Church of Christ, but there's this big acapella group of people. And I met Leandre through Jesse Marah. I end up mixing Vision Ministries records. And it's, it's funny, uh, Leandre's girlfriend lives in Louisville. So he tries to get here as much as he can. <laughs> and anytime he's in town, man, I try to get that kid over. He actually sang that day one record that Travis sang on. He sang two or I think he sang lead vocals on one or two. Of the, I know one or two of the songs, but then did a bunch of backup vocals on that same record. Okay. So they got, uh, you know, that Stephen Moore guy from... Uh, He's got a band called Carrollton Christian Band. That guy's a ridiculous singer, too. So he sang on the same record. But I think Leandre did some of the backup vocals. That's oh, them crazy. guys are harmony singing machines, man. Oh, I'd imagine. If you got an acapella group, you better be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, when we were talking about Drive, you said you and Carl did everything on that track. Is Splintered Mine, or is it a duo? Is it just you and Carl and Splintered Mine? Mostly. I mean, we do all the writing and, and arranging, producing, and everything ourselves. Me and him do but sometimes we'll want a live drummer to play. Sometimes getting them guys to show up is, but at least knowing knowing the song can be kind of difficult. <laughs> if you're having trouble with that, you know, sometimes you just end up programming drums, you know. <laughs> Clay Vesasley. what you do. Clay, so, Clay Vesasley's in his band, too. Yeah, Clay Vesasley, the drum machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, we're just trying to get done. We're just yeah. trying to get things done. Yeah. And if if you can't rely on musicians. Which you, you can't most of the time. You can't. I mean. Can't. I had a client last year that wanted some fretless bass on a song. And man, I, you know, a guy in town, absolutely, every time I've ever seen him play fretless bass, he blows me away. The guy is amazing. And I call him and ask him if he'd be interested in doing it. And the client paid, you know, it was, it was it's not like as if I was asking for something for free. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the client was was willing to, to pay whatever the guy wanted to do it. And I asked him if he was interested. He said, sure, send me the song, and then I'll call you tomorrow, and we'll figure out when I come in to do it. Well, tomorrow, yeah, I sent him the song tomorrow. Didn't hear from him. And then I tried to reach out to him. And, you know, the kids call it. He ghosted me. <laughs> so, like, 10 days in. I've waited 10 days, and I still don't have a commitment for when he's going to come in to do it. And I'm losing my mind. I'm trying to get paid. You know, I'm trying to get mm -hmm. projects done and get paid. And, man, there came a point where I just had to call more. I, I found a guy. There's a guy named Kirk Whitehouse that has actually taught over at Maxwell's House of oh, Music over there okay. on, on 10th Street for like 10 years. No kidding. But he teaches... Uh, vocal and piano and guitar and I, I don't know what all the guy can do just about anything wow. i called that guy on tuesday and said man you want to do this sure thursday comes in kills it and i'm like <laughs> that's what i'm talking about right there fretless yeah yeah Pro. okay yeah he killed it <laughs> so it's like you know there's some things that i don't have a virtual instrument or i can't do myself if i if somebody wants steel guitar in their song I got to bring a body in. And, uh, I mean, that's a that's, that's a, that's a specialized, that's a skilled trade, yeah. man. You got to have somebody knows exactly how to do that. It's like Jeremy Sharp with the harp, man. You need somebody that plays a harmonica. We got the guy. You oh got, yeah, you we know, got a harmonica player. Yeah, that's the guy. Do you know yeah. a dude named named Robert Marsden in town? He used to have the band Old School. 
I know. The, yeah, I've heard the band. Great singer, great bass player. The guy can play keys. He, I mean, he's just super talented guy. He does that chromatic harp stuff like Stevie Wonder does. I had him on come in on one song years ago and played, and I could not believe it. I mean, he can really? sound just like Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and chromatic harmonica, I don't know if you've ever fiddled with that. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. hard, man. Uh-uh. He's he's really good at it. Finding somebody that can do that is, is well, we pretty got a guy. rare. I got a guy that can do <laughs> yeah, everything. What style is it? Is it like the blues styles. harp? Or? Yeah, it's blues harp. It's amazing, though. He, yeah, can pretty, he can do it all. How many people want a blues harp on their record? Wait till you hear it. Oh, this man. is episode 12. Good Lord. Yeah, we had him in here a couple of weeks ago. He played in here live. Yeah, good, it was man. pretty good. It's not like it's, um, you know, a banjo or anything. Do you got you some know? banjo guys? I'm ready to uh, no, make a bluegrass band. No, man. you know what perfect pitch on a banjo is, right? I'm ready to hear it. It's when it lands right in the center of the dumpster and you don't hit the sides <laughs> at all. Real you know? swish with the banjo. No, You're it's not just a banjo perfect. Fan. Yeah. No, dude, first quality music did me in on that. Really? When they were open. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, it, Bill Sullivan. And Sullivan it, I mean, they, yeah. they build amazing banjos. Uh-huh. But all I had to do is walk in one of those rooms about the size of this room and two guys sitting there hacking on banjos and it's like ice picks <laughs> down in your ears. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I couldn't dude. get out of there fast enough. I'm like, oh my, get get me out of here. Phil has a list. Did we get to everything on the list? No, no, we well, didn't. Let's talk. We didn't. What did we miss here? Well, I was just going to talk about some of the cl- recent clients. Um, oh, sure. Some heck, of the yeah. artists that I'm working with now. Kim and John D'Amato, I work with them. They're a, a married couple, and he, he when he's doing solo stuff, it's mostly. Just straight blues. Mm-hmm. But when Kim's with him, you know, she's just one of those uh, just beautiful, pure, real, real pretty, pure, pure voice, acoustic type stuff. Think they'd well, like to be on Top Hill Recording Podcast? Yeah, they might. I actually have a session with them tomorrow, and they're bringing in other musicians to play on a project that we've been working on. Man, I'm really enjoying, as um, an artist, a country artist, a guy named Josh Goodlett. I've been recording for Josh him. Goodlet. And yeah, his guitar player is John Shadowen. And he's working with Gary Asher. It's actually um, Andrew Asher's brother. Andrew plays in Soul Circus and okay. plays guitar around town. And um, I'm having a lot of fun with them guys. I forget, we're two, three, four songs in working on their project. Awesome. Pretty fun. I actually just did uh, a song, a single for Les Masters band, country band, song called You're the Reason I Drink. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like that. I like the title. Yeah. Yeah, but that's a good country song. Yeah, it's got yeah it is. Steel. No, no, oh. they're, they're actually, um, they're kind of like a like a rock band with a country singer type style is, is kind no of banjo. what they do. No banjo, no mandolin. Oh, sorry, Mm-mm. buddy. Nothing whiny, nothing twangy. So you're not a bluegrass fan? Or? Oh, I can appreciate about anything. I mean, if you, if you can't listen to Alison Krauss and find something beautiful in that, you got some kind of problem, you know? Yeah. It's kind of funny. I, I was in Nashville in uh, 2011 backstage at a Rush concert. They were on the Time Machine tour. And I just met a couple of guys that work at Blackbird Studios, and I was standing there watching the show, and, that, and one of the guys that I just met, he's, he was on my left, and he nudged me, and I looked at him, and he motioned for me to look to my right, and I turned, and Allison Krauss is, like, standing right 
there. She had her her 10-year-old, at the time he was 10, son was a drummer or something or another. And, um, yeah, watching her face, watch Neil Peart play drums, you know, it's like... What was his last name? Peart. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you never know who you're going to run into. How cool is at that? At a rush show, you know, in Especially Nashville. backstage, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. Is there... There's, there's a... A good chunk of recording studios around Louisville now. Do you guys have relationships? I'm no, I, I, I built my business around everybody's nightmare that they've mm-hmm. had at various places, and uh, you know some of the things I hear. Actually, Josh Goodland, them guys, they talk about an, another place that they pretty much just get. Okay, are are you ready? And they hit the red button and. After you do a take, they go, how was that? And uh, they're just recording. You just That's get what it. you get. Yeah. And I'd, I'd try to do way more than that if if – that's what somebody wants, you know. And I, I think try most, to push my way on anybody or anything. But I think know? most artists need a little bit of that. Hey, yeah, was that as good as we think it was, or was it mm-hmm. shitty? Because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times you may. Uh, well, Ian Ian talked about it being pushed, mm-hmm. having a having an engineer and a producer that that said, "Look, you guys are more talented than what you're producing. You you got to dig a little deeper." That's that's not good enough. Well, sometimes you gotta tell people that that they need to to do some woodshedding and do some pre production and yeah. nail it down a little better. You mm-hmm. know, you've had that happen. Yeah, sure. So sure. you've had bands come in, uh, basically have paid for the day, come in and. Well, no, I try not to get it to that point. I try to find okay. that out ahead of time. You okay. know, especially if they're coming in from out of town. Yeah, you, yeah. you try to figure that out. Let them record something and send it to you and. Uh, you know, you'd like for the drummer, you know, depending on what kind of music it is, but a lot of times you need the drummer to play to a click. Yeah. If you want to be able to edit, yes, you got to put you it on a click. You have to play to a click. You yeah. have to. And, 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 and if the drummer dr- can't, yeah, then, I was going to say, oh, how many, man. is that a 50-50 shot or is it about 70% can? Or? Man, you'd be surprised. Uh, it, it goes both ways. Actually, the, this kind of young guy that played drums for the Les Masters band, and I can't think of his name right now, said he'd never played to a click before. And he killed it. Just natural timing was money. He just could feel it. Yeah, knew it. Then there are other drummers around town that are held in pretty high regard, and they all say they can. If you go, well, can you play the click? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a drummer, man. Yeah, but there are some that can't stay with a click for two measures. (laughs) Turn the click up louder. It don't. It doesn't help. (laughs) It doesn't help. Man, I play gigs with with Bill Miles playing drums. He plays with a click in his ear 100% of the time. Mm-hmm. And the thing I like about that, you know, if I'm playing a solo note for note and the tempo of the record it takes all the speed that I have to, to achieve that. Mm-hmm. If a drummer's playing the song five beats a minute too fast, that puts it out of my reach. Well, w- when people are, are watching the band, they don't identify it as the drummer playing it too fast. They identify it as you sucking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you walk off stage and go, people walk up to you and go, man, what happened during that Van Halen solo? Yeah. I'm like, well, well, the drummer's flying tonight, and I don't know why. But with Bill. Whatever, bro. Yeah. <laughs> with Bill, I, I could say, uh, man, what tempo are we playing a certain song at? 
and he he documents everything. And he go eighty two. Yeah, and I go, hey, can we knock that down to eighty? Mm. Sure, and he changes it, and the next time you can feel a difference in two beats a minute. There's a confidence level in that too, knowing that you're on time, a hundred percent of the time. Well, everybody feels different from day to day. Yeah. And there are times within a band, you could be playing a song and you go, gosh, this feels so fast. Or the other way. And somebody else could go, oh, I think it's perfect. Yeah, the energy of the crowd could drive it. I think here's what I hear about a problem I have is anytime I hear a live recording, I'm like, Whoa, that's fast. Mm -hmm. Because I'm thinking, let's go, let's go, let's go. Yeah, you get excited playing live, crowds into it. So, yeah. yeah, And and my drummer, a lot of times, if we play like an all original show or something like that, it'll be click. He'll have a click. Or he'll at least have a uh, click track, a visual click track that he can see the the light. Blinky light. Blinky light. Yeah, yeah. So, even if it's not in here, because I hate the cans, I hate when a drummer has on headsets. Like, man, that doesn't look like it even feels Just natural. Using air monitors. Yep. Well, fortunately, that's the thing cool. now. Yeah. yeah. Looks good. And you, <laughs> I mean, yeah. think about it. Almost everybody you see at the Yum Center, if you're at a show at the Yum Center and the band is synced to the video, mm-hmm. they're playing to a click. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's just how it works. I mean, I may have seen, I don't know, maybe Elton John wasn't doing that. But, man, that dude had a huge band. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Elton John can afford to have that many band members, but most and, most other artists can't. Mm-hmm. And those band members were probably all playing to a click track, which kept his ass <laughs> At least on a few time. Of them, yeah. yeah. Dude, I saw, did y'all see Phil Collins when he was in town? I did not. Holy crap, man. He's got an 18-year-old son that is just ridiculous drummer. Really? Oh, my gosh, yeah. And everything was synced. All the lighting and the video was all synced, so I'd guarantee he was playing to a click. And uh-huh. man, it, the band was smoking. I tell you, it was it was all guys that Phil Collins has played with for thirty or forty years, and his eighteen year old son. That's playing so the drums. Like veterans, yeah, veterans on the whole stage. Yeah, it is. It, it was a really cool show. Other than um, it being a little bit sad, it's like he couldn't he couldn't stand. He sat in a chair. Really? Yeah, like he, like he's got back problems and leg or foot problems or something, and that sucks. Hmm. yeah, he hobbled out to a chair. But man, the music, you know, when you sit there song after song after song, mm. go, "Mom, man, I forgot about this song," and <laughs> it makes you realize how important that music is to your life. You yeah, know? Has and, been. and the and the yeah, man, a good friend of mine, a guy named Mark Byer plays keyboards in a band called Rain, a tribute to the Beatles. And he's there, does all the orchestration, and it's a Beatles tribute band. And, you know, when they are when they tribute. play in Louisville, they play at the Palace. I was going to say, tribute, oh, cool. tribute bands are gigantic. I know. That's the thing. If you can be in a tribute band, that's when I heard Drive. I was like, all right, is he in a tribute band? Because no, it's the no. thing. If you want to make $1,000 a night, be in a tribute band. Oh, yeah. Mark, the, I mean, he's... Played in Germany and he's played everywhere yeah. playing with Rain. It's insane. Yeah, they're 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 really good. And he also has a uh, all original project that I'm I've been helping him with a little bit, a band called World that he had when he was a teenager. Like how I, I don't know how this ever happens, but once the street that he lived on happened to have Greg Forsman 
plays guitar for Martina McBride. He lived on that street, and I think Matt Thompson, amazing drummer, lived on that street. And a, a street over, you know, the the <laughs> bass player. It's in the Brennan, water. Brendan Lewis, he, he lives, and they're all like a year or two apart from age. And so they have this band from the time they're 14 till they're in their 20s. And they're they're all in their fifties now, but they're doing a, a all original no record. Yeah, yeah. And I've been helping them guys with it. It's yeah, a lot I of fun. It's cool. oh, that's cool. oh, they're amazing. Yeah, that, there's some of it that's like real Stilly Dan. Uh -huh. Some of it's like the, the Stones. Some of it's. I mean, you can. It's obvious where them guys are all coming from. Really fun project that I've been oh, able I bet to work it is. on. Yeah. yeah. Tell you what, man, this uh, music is weird. It's so weird because you, we've talked about hearing all these names and, and and how much they're, how much they mingle and how many people, you know, from Chris Rogers to, you know, Roger and everybody else. It's crazy. It's crazy, but just music. How the lines cross. They really do. Yeah, so many paths cross and, with so many people. And Louisville's not a small place. It's it really isn't. It's mm -mm. it's a pretty big city. Yep. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool how it all lines out in the end around here. Mm -hmm. Is running a recording studio mostly a second shift job? Or are you uh, are you working with people? I work mostly evenings. Or you got to be flexible. Yeah, the evenings um, get booked up first. That's what most people people want. coming in after their first jobs. Yeah, and sometimes I have uh, some people that work other shifts, and you know I do sessions at ten o'clock in the morning and. You know, just various times. When we had Ian in here talking about, they they recorded an album in a in about a week. The second time they recorded an album, and that's what they did. They ran in the drummer, ran in and did a couple of days, recorded everything. Then they would Ian would come in when he could for an hour and record a song, and then so it, it it's uh, with with scheduling, it's it's kind of crazy. But nobody works more hours than you would. In a band, I mean, they they, especially in a situation like that when you have ten, you know, five guys running in and out for a week, they're working hours and here and there. You're working the whole time, the entire time. Yeah, yeah. And then you got to edit, and then you got to mix, then you got to do all the other stuff. That's the process. That I tell you, man, uh, the toll that it takes on your wrist, mousing. <laughs> oh, dude, really? I, I've been to the doctor and gone, man, my wrist is killing me from using a mouse. You know, he's like. Take vitamin B6. <laughs> Brad, you got that B6? And he man. said, don't take B12. It's not twice as good. <laughs> take B6. And it does. It, it makes helps. a big improvement. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I mean, it went from, uh, you know, I'm like icing it every night and all that because I work. Sometimes you work, you know, in two days, you'd work 18 hours or something. And my wrist would be blown out. You know, I'm putting a wrist brace on, cranking it down real, real tight. And that, that helps, makes uh -huh. it feel better for a while. But, yeah, man, I take B6 every day. And that actually lets me work a lot more hours without my wrist blowing completely out. Well, I'll tell you what. About two months ago, I got one of those therapeutic massage guns that oh, did, yeah. just beat you. Yeah. That thing is amazing. And and. Uh, a couple For days your hands, hands and, and everything. A couple because a couple of days ago I was cramping bad in my hands. I'd been playing a lot of guitar, had been outside just doing all kinds of pulled carpet. So I mean, my hands were just yep. torn because I use it mostly for my shoulder as a mailman. I carry a bag and all that oh, stuff. Yeah. I'm constantly in pain there and guitars and and but it's made a huge difference. Oh wow, it, it is awesome. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I brought it, when I actually got it, 
and brought it home. I, it was right around Christmas, so I took it to uh, Christmas with the family, and I think four people at, sitting at the table ordered one before the night was over. Oh, really? And not for me, because I'm not making any money, but if, if you've right. got issues like that, man, it, as far as like pounding out those sore spots and creating blood flow in it, back oh, yeah. in, it's awesome. Wow. They're not cheap, though. Oh, really? But they're great. 400 bucks? You could probably get one now for like 100 bucks. Oh, really? And it's well worth it. It's pretty awesome. Wow. There you go. You got a mouse wrist healing there. There you go. That's a try, <laughs> man. Hey, yeah. When you're in pain like that from doing stuff like that, anything's worth trying. Oh, I'm sure. I'm and sure. I still feel good no matter what. If you use it somewhere else, you know, on your uh, leg or somewhere else. Yeah, get it. So I you, get it. I wonder what Phil would, uh, I wonder what his top three songs would be, Neil. Of all time? Yeah. Oh, gosh. my top three songs, man. You this sh- is not, dude, you should have given me some time to do some homework on that. Exactly, man. I mean, dude. This is okay. The Spirit of Radio. Spirit of Radio. Rush. Is that That's top, in three? Number one. That's in is that number one? Is that in there somewhere? Yep. All right. I don't know if it's number one, but it's definitely top it's three. Up there, pretty high. It's hard to. It's hard, hard, one, hard two, to three. Name top three. It is. Well, not really. Spirit of Radio. Because I have so many. What's your favorite King's X song? Uh, I just love the whole record, Dog Man. That's three man band, right? That whole band, that whole record, I love that whole thing. Three man band. Yep, and they're unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You ever seen them live? No. Oh, they're stupid live. Really? Like, oh my gosh! I mean, you got all three of them playing and singing, and they're just killing it. I mean, they're they play really complex stuff, and they all sing at the same time. And yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, it's one of the best shows that I've ever seen. I'm gonna have to go on a deep dive here. <laughs> Do some I'll get King's back with you. I'll, I'll get back with y'all on this one. <laughs> on King's X, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, there's a guy named Stephen Wilson. That's a, a British guy. He had a band called Porcupine Tree, and he's also got some solo records that are that are really good and uh, progressive, heavier rock. But they, he just remixed Yes Fragile, and I just got that CD. And I've actually got a um, Jethro Tull Aqualung, too, that he he redid. You know, he took all the, that. That record had a tremendous amount of hiss in it. And, you know, um, locomotive breath, the, the, the hiss is louder at the beginning than the real delicate piano. And, man, they reduced the hiss by... 20 decibels probably and it sounds really good so I, i'm really yeah it's it's like you hear those old records in a totally different way and so i've just been listening to that yes fragile uh which is roundabout and yours is no disgrace and you know some of those yes songs that i've heard my whole life on on the radio many many times great record great sounding record now i mean after he gets done with it it, it sounds really good i'm digging that i still love buying cds man I hate it that I can't go in Best Buy and buy a CD anymore. <laughs> really? Yeah. I, oh, it drives me insane. I wanted the new Tool record. I wanted the CD of it. And finding it, I finally, um, Barnes & Nobles ended up finally getting some in. But they, they would do this thing, they get one. And if you didn't get that one, it took them two or three <laughs> weeks to get a, another. Amazon, man. Amazon. Yep. That's yeah. what it, uh, see, I, like, I like the process of going in someplace and looking at them and buying them, you know. Unless you can't find them. You're down to some feel. I know, man. Buying <laughs> CDs is still. Uh, yeah, I still love CDs. Do you listen to a lot of vinyl? No, I do you not. Okay. I don't. CDs. Yep. Still love CDs. 
All right. Uh, Still sounds better to I, me. I thought you'd be a vinyl person. No. I got, I, before, before we can let you go, I got to ask if you were to say this is my favorite or best recording I've ever done. Do you have one that, that stands out to you that, that when you were done, you went, this is probably the best example of what I heard in my head that translated to what the finished product was. I mean, it might, it might be that drive yeah. cover. Yeah. It's killer, man. But, man, I honestly, I just try to satisfy customers. You know, I mean, I, I'm a one-man show. I do everything. And sometimes, well, I had a listening session with From Paris last night on the project that I, that uh -huh. I just recorded for them. And I told him, I said, I, I've worked on this so long to the point I can't even tell. But when they're sitting there, and I have no idea why how this works, uh -huh. but if I want to get another perspective or if I want to hear different, I can ask my daughter or my wife or somebody, if I'm working on a song, say, come in, sit here. And with them sitting there, I start thinking about how they hear it. And it changes how I hear. So the ear fatigue goes away and you actually can hear it, it again. It just changes your perspective. Really? And as soon as that a couple of them from, from Paris are sitting with me and I'm playing their mix, I go, is the guitar too quiet? And they go, yeah, it is. I'm like, okay. Every, almost everything that, that I went, not, not 100% of it, but 80% of it that I said, is the vocal too loud? Yep. Or is the vocal too low? Yep. They agreed. And sometimes they would say, well, I didn't notice that until you said it. And as soon as you said it, then that made me hear different. And then they go, oh, yeah. Now you now that you said it, yeah, it is. It so is. when you get to that point, most time, is it volume, not tone? You've got the no, tone. No, no, I got the tones. Yeah, it's volume. Okay. And it's usually one decibel Tweaks. This or that, yeah. Just a smidge. When you have a mix real close, you can hear one decibel. You can make a one decibel change, and you <laughs> can crazy. hear. You can. It, it'll make a, a marginal improvement. One decibel will. Really. Mm -hmm. Do you use reference tracks when you're mixing? Yeah, sure do. Really. Do you have some favorite reference tracks? Yeah, I mean, depends. <laughs> depends on the kind of music I'm doing. If I'm doing bluegrass. I've got some Ricky Skaggs. I've, I've got uh, a group called Blue Highway. I have one of their records. But I think if I was doing a heavy record, I might use that recent Tool album. Oh, yeah. That's at least one of the references. And I do have some Dream Theater that I like for heavy. Um, they had a, a record called Systematic Chaos. I don't like how all of their records sound, but that one it probably got the best drum sound out of all their records. Um, what about modern country? Uh, man. <laughs> you know, all you got to do is listen for a good drum uh, sample. Uh, what do I mean, modern country? Modern country's dog crap right now, right? Man. It's pretty bad. I just had somebody bring in a uh, Florida Georgia Line CD mm -hmm. that we referenced. And, man, there's nothing about that that appeals to my ears. Mm. I don't like how that sounds. Uh, now there was some. Uh, there's a Christian artist, Lauren Daigle. Oh, she's huge. Yeah, her records sound good. Yeah. Now they are super <clears throat> compressed. They're like limited. They're the loudest records that that you'll ever find. Really? Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of that, but uh, 
I, I actually, I can't believe they can compress them so hard and they still sound as good as they do. Hmm. Man, I tell you, there's a Daft Punk record that won a Grammy. I don't know, 2015 maybe. Yeah, recent. Mm-hmm. Get that, lucky. Yes, that record. It's not as it's not as loud. It's not even close to to as loud as Florida Georgia Line records. Not even close. But man, that thing sounds so good. Everything on it sounds amazing. Just tight. Oh gosh, it's it's just so clean and it's clean and warm and it's everything that I love. I mean that that's the kind of stuff I'm I'm envious of. That you know, it's like I hear that and I, I I'm going, man, how in the world did they do that? So what kind of bands are you using that for a reference track for like a oh pop yeah pop or if 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 it was a dance, any kind of dance record, funk or anything, you know, you just—is just, it just, just the clarity and the clean, uh, cleanliness of well, it? Well, I mean, some of it is is how fat is the kick drum? How really? How where's the snare sitting? So the they mix? just do everything perfect in that record. Oh, I love it. And it's pretty dry. It's a pretty dry record. It's really? not a whole lot of effects on it, and it sounds. Uh, and yeah, it, it's a it's a beautiful sounding record. I really hmm. like it a lot. Who recorded it? Do you know? They did, didn't they? That's uh, well, what they did. Well, right? Rogers. No, I mean, uh, I know now Rogers play guitar on it. He may have. I know he's a producer too. You know, he produced uh, David Bowie. You know, he had a record called Let's Dance. Yeah. He produced that. And man, you can listen to that record right now. And man, them drums sound so good. That's a still to this day. I don't know what year that was, 92. Two or something. Mm-hmm. It's been a while. That yeah. record sounds great. It still does. I love that record. Mm-hmm. I know Nile Rogers had a lot to do with all that. He played guitar and he produced on that record. I think. So tell us a little bit how how you guys laid out this uh, standing starting now starting now. Carl and I were working together one day and we realized how much both of us really loved the first four Foreigner records. And I, I said. Uh, Man, I could write something like that. And so I uh I originally wrote that song in in G, which would be a that's what Mick Jones would do. And you know, so it's kind of like a um if you took Blue Morning Blue Day and uh Hot-Blooded and Double Vision, those guitar riffs are in that vein. And that little run right at the beginning, that note choice is very very foreigner and uh after i wrote the music i sent it to carl and he's like oh man i I just (laughs) struck a note he loved the music and then uh when he came in to work on the vocal he said man right here's where i want to sing here's where i want to start singing but uh do you guys have lyrics at this point or did you write the music first i I wrote the music first yeah but I, i had it in g and he said man if i was lou graham man g would be great but i'm not lou graham <laughs> what key can we get this in that that can let me sing this note like that first line he sings on the verse that's kind of what we we're using as a jumping off point he's like man this is this is a note i want to sing so we ended up taking it from g down to e well when you put it in e those same riffs get real heavy mm-hmm. it changes the feel of it considerably so you know when you listen to it now you you probably don't even hear foreigner in it very much at all but mm. that's that's kind of where it all came from hmm. i can't re- i think the middle if y'all listen to the middle where the timing's all jacked up we're gonna listen to the whole thing that's something that we that we did later we put that on later um 
like I had pretty much the whole song and we were like, okay, what are we going to do in the middle for a solo or something? I'm like, well, let's just not do a solo, but let's just do this little instrumental break thing. And, um, so it's a, it's like, I don't even know what the time signature is. We just created that, and and it ends up being you know something that we that we really like. So that middle part has nothing to do with foreigner, but but the rest of the song came from the middles feel bright. It's something. Oh, it's Carl too, man. Because Carl. Carl actually sat sat with me and helped me get those notes all together. Yeah. What's he do uh, outside of Splintered Vine? Oh man, dude does a ton of vocal acoustic gigs around town by itself mm. you know people talk to him about being in bands he's like man why would i go do a full band gig and, and make money. less money pack more stuff yep pack way more <laughs> stuff so he does a ton of just acoustic gigs by himself you know he can sit and play guitar and sing so yeah, he's actually just started playing piano and I think he just took a piano out really? for the first time, yeah, and did and played it at a gig. No so, kidding. Where yeah. does he Where does he play? Where can we go sing? Uh, I think he does every other Tuesday at Diamonds. He plays in this place called Drake's over there. And, okay, and yeah. in the, in the paddock. No, the paddock or where the oh, summit okay. used to be the summit. Mm-hmm. If I'd have known. I could have brought a whole schedule. I didn't know. <laughs> Are you playing live music still or just doing No, I'm just doing sound right now. Okay. I have been working on a, a band project that uh, oh, we're kind of uh, tweaking the, the lineup, and we don't have that right yet, but still trying to get a drummer worked out on because we need a singer. Mm. We need a singer-drummer. Singer-drummer? Oh. That's hard. It's tough. <laughs> it's hard to find them guys. So do we hit everything in your notes there, Phil? I don't know, man. I don't, just, <laughs> I don't even know at this point. It's all a blur. Well, man, I'm, I'm thrilled you joined us. I've, uh, I've enjoyed well, talking to you. Asking, yeah, it's cool that, that my name came up when you're talking to Roger. Phil Bright and Carl Stuck. Hey, starting thanks, now. Splintered right, Mind. Yeah. Thanks, Phil. All right, thank you. You've built a wall Cause good 